This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Solid Foundation Ministries has added something new to our ministry. Uh, We now have a YouTube channel. You can find a link to it on my website, solidfoundationministries.com. If you're interested, go over there to the website, click on the link, go to the channel, and subscribe to the channel. It will help me to expand the channel. The purpose of this channel is to get out to a wider audience and to actually reach across the world. So, If you can, uh, get over there and do that. It would be greatly appreciated. And uh, anyway, let's get into today's message. Welcome to Solid Foundation Ministries. Today, I would like to ask and answer a question. That question is, what is the gospel? Most of you would probably turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and would answer that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And as far as that goes, you would be correct. But I want us to look a little deeper into that because I think there's some things that we're missing in our presentation today when we make it that simple. I want to take a close look at the meaning of the things that are in there. So let's first of all read the scriptures. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Now that's First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. And I want us to take a closer look at that. First of all, we must believe the gospel if we're going to be saved. In Mark 1.15, it says, And saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Repentance and believing the gospel are essential if we're going to be saved. Salvation is a turning from our dead works, that's repentance, towards God, asking for mercy, and that he points us toward the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, which is the gospel, which we are to believe. And then in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. The gospel alone, nothing else, has the power to save. Uh, You can't get saved by works, by church membership, by baptism, anything like that. It's all about uh, Jesus Christ and and trusting in him and nothing else. It's the gospel. And then in uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. All those who don't believe the gospel, obey the gospel, do what it says, which says trust Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, all of them are going to end up in a fiery place called the lake of fire for all eternity. They will be separated from God. There will be no relief whatsoever. They're going to spend eternity there. I know we don't like to talk about those kind of things, but we need to understand that that's the way it is. So what, what must we believe if we're going to believe the gospel? First of all, we must remember that he said that we're to keep in memory, we're to hold fast, 
to what he told them. And uh, believing anything else, he tells us, would be vain and empty, and we don't have, we don't have anything if we don't remember what he told us. Paul told them uh, that he had received this from the Lord himself. So first things first, we must believe in the one who died for our sins. It says that Christ died for our sins. So who is Christ? You know, the world, the people we're talking to out there as we go out at our soul-winning efforts and, and whatever we do, talking to fan, uh, family and friends or whoever it is that we're talking to, when we talk to them, we're uh, thinking that they know and understand the th same things we don't. But it's talking about Jesus Christ that died for our sins, and they need to know who he is. Uh, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name uh, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So it's important that they uh, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The context will tell us that's who we're talking about here. Since Christ died for our sins, we, had, we must know who he is. And there are many false Christs out there. There are a lot of people out there that have said they are Christ uh, through the centuries. There's there are some in my lifetime, and uh, you're not too young in your lifetime that have claimed to be Christ. There may be some out there now. I don't know. But uh, there are many Christ. Christ means the Messiah. That's the New Testament word for the Old Testament word, Messiah. And it means the anointed one. It means the one that's appointed, the one that's chosen to do whatever it is that we're talking about. In this case, it's bringing us salvation. Christ is absolutely holy. We need to understand that. We need to understand that he is God. In First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So it's talking about Christ who came to earth, lived a perfect life, uh, and, and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, and then was uh, raised up to heaven, as we see in Acts chapter 1. Another passage on that uh, subject is Revelation 4.8. It says, And the four beasts, each of them had six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Now, folks, this is talking about Jesus Christ, and it says, which was, that's he was alive, which uh, is, he is now, and he is to come. He's the one that's going to return one of these days and, and catch all of his saved out of here, bring tribulation on the earth. It's not the purpose of my message. I'll kind of leave that there. But we need to understand that he is the thrice holy God. He is holy, holy, holy. And when we understand that that's who he is, it makes a difference in how we respond to him. Uh, listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. It says, For thus saith the high and holy one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to receive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So he is the one that inhabits eternity. It's a holy place. It, he's above everything else. There is nothing that isn't 
or, the, or that's above him. He is top. He is eternal. He always was and always will be. He is holy. His name is holy. He lives in heaven, which is a holy place. He can't allow anything that's unholy in, because if he did, then heaven would no longer be a holy place. Uh, first thing we must believe is that Christ is the eternal, all-powerful, holy God. He is the supreme judge who judges by his, his, remember that, his righteous standard. You'll understand why that's important when we get to the next point. Uh, he cannot let sin go in unpunished because he is holy and he is just. A judge that would let somebody off just because he happens to like them that was guilty of something would not be a just judge. And if God's going to be a just judge, God must uh, punish sin. The second thing we need to understand is that he died for our sins. Now, it's by his definition. It's not by our definition. We don't get to decide what's a serious enough sin to condemn us to hell. The Bible teaches us that sin is a violation of the law of God. Every single sin, no matter how small we may think it is, it's a violation of God's law, and it brings a penalty. In Romans chapter 6, uh, in verse 23, the first part of the verse says, the wages of sin is death. And we need to understand that there is a penalty for our sin. Now, physical death is, is the result of sin. There would be no physical death if there was not um, uh, sin in this world. However, that's not what it's talking about here, because the righteous, just like the unrighteous, all die physical death. This is talking about the second death, which is uh, spoken about in Revelation chapter 21. In verse uh, 8 of Revelation 21, it says, But the fearful, unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about this second death, eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. Now, the Bible tells us that the lake of fire was not created for men. It was created for Satan and his angels. But if we choose to follow Satan and refuse to follow God, God is going to allow us to follow Satan all the way into hell. Uh, I would like to point something out. It says all liars. Everybody lies. We start lying from the moment of birth. A child will cry because he wants attention, but he'll cry like and say, hey, listen, I'm hurting. I'm in trouble. I need your help right now. And he really doesn't. He just wants attention. So they lie, we lie from the beginning. And we like to think the baby is so in, innocent, but he's not. He's a sinner by nature. By the way, on that subject, we need to understand that we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It is natural for us as human beings to sin. It's something that we just do. You didn't have to teach your children to lie or to cheat or to steal. They did it automatically because it is part of the human nature because that's the nature that Adam passed on to us. And that's another long story. I'm not going to take time to go into explaining that more, but, but this is the second death. And uh, we must believe that we are the sinners that the Bible says we are. In Isaiah chapter six, uh, 64 and verse 6, it says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses, that's all the good things we do, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. 
and we all do fade as a leaf. Our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Now, folks, we need to understand that we cannot be good enough to uh, satisfy God's righteous standards. We would have to be absolutely 100% uh, sinless. The only person that's ever been that, that ever lived on the face of this earth, was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Our iniquities have separated us from a holy God. God's holiness means he cannot allow unholiness in his presence. Holy actually means to be separated from, and he is totally separated from anything that could be called a sin or iniquity or anything like anything that's wrong. One who believes that his sin is not great enough to send him to hell cannot be saved. We have to understand that all of our sins are sufficient uh, grounds for God to condemn us. The penalty is eternal death, and, and people need to understand that if they're going to get saved. And we need to not shy away from telling them these hard things that they don't want to hear. We all stand built, uh, guilty before God. Our righteousness has, uh, is filthy before God and therefore cannot save us. I'm kind of running around in circles here, just bear with me. Well, there's nothing we can do, not one single thing that we can do to merit God's grace and salvation. We must believe that only, the only sufficient save, uh, the only sufficient payment for our sin is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross, shed his blood, that we might uh, be able to be saved. Some say that it's only his death. John MacArthur is one who, said, who says, it's not his blood, it's only his death. It wouldn't matter how he died. But listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. Now, uh, anything other than the shed blood of Jesus Christ cannot save you. Uh, again, in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, it says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. But I want you to know it says that he is the propitiation. That means he is the sufficient sacrifice. His death on the cross was sufficient to uh, to uh, pay the price of our sin and buy us back from the bondage of sin. But that propitiation is received through faith in his blood. So don't let somebody tell you it's just his death. He had to shed his blood in dying in order to pay for it. Third thing, the third thing we need to get from this, it's really not a hard one, it's a really simple one, but it's, he was buried. Now, what does that prove to us, that he was buried? It proves to us that he really died. There are some that think he just swooned, and the coolness of the grave revived him. Well, let me ask you something. If he just swooned, and they put him in the grave, and he did wake up in the grave, how'd he move that stone in his weakened state? Would you tell me that? No, he rose, he, he was dead, he really was dead, and his burial is proof of that death. And it doesn't matter what many, what anyone says. You know, there was also the lie that was spread in the time of Christ that said that he, uh, 
he was stolen or his body was stolen from his uh, uh, from the grave by his disciples while the guards were sleeping. Well, if the guards were sleeping, there was a penalty for that in the Roman army and you were put to death for that. But the fourth thing we need to do is remember or is to believe that he rose physically from the dead. And some think it was a spiritual resurrection, Jehovah's Witnesses or something like that. I think it was just Poof, he turned into gas and he escaped out of there. Well, then how did they see him walking around? You know, there is ample proof of Christ's resurrection. As a matter of fact, it is one of the most well-documented things in all of ancient history. There's more proof of that. There are letters between different Roman leaders about his resurrection. There, there uh, is testimony that we find in the Bible. I mean, he was seen and touched by his disciples. He wasn't a ghost. They could physically handle him. He actually ate food with them, which proved that he wasn't a spirit and he, he could eat food. Uh, uh, he was seen by over 500 people at one time. What was that? Was that a mass uh, hallucination, mass hypnosis or something like that? No, he was seen by over 500. And at the time that Paul wrote that, he said, most of them are still alive. Just go ask them. Most of them are still alive. Just go ask them. Kind of got my tongue tangled there or something. But at any rate, uh, why is this important? It's the proof that his sacrifice was accepted by God. It's proof that what he did was sufficient to pay our price, and God accepted him as that sufficient sacrifice, that propitiation that we mentioned earlier. Uh, it's the proof that he really did that. It also proves that he has the power to save because he overcame death, and he can overcome death for us. And so we will... Uh, uh, be saved from our sin, and we may die physically. If we're not around when the rapture comes, we may die physically, but we just transfer from here to heaven and spend eternity with him, and at the resurrection, we'll get a physical body back that will be perfect, will be without flaw. No, I won't need these things anymore. I'll have real teeth. Uh, all of these things that we have, they'll be all, all gone. That's coming. And it also proves this, that he is God. You see, the Bible says God raised himself from the dead. But Jesus said that I lay my life down and I take it up again. Why can he say that? Because he is God. So he, he laid down his life. He took it back, picked it up and took it back himself. himself. And finally, and this is, a, this is an extremely important point, it, it was all according to the scriptures. It says that he died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So that means that there should be something in the Old Testament that tells us about these things. And a thorough, proper study of the Bible, we can go back into the Old Testament and we can find where the prophets actually predicted these things. Did you know there's a passage in the scripture that says the gospel was preached aforetime to, uh, to Abraham? I should have brought this down to the studio with me because I have up in my uh, uh, office upstairs, I have a picture of the French, or excuse me, of the Chinese character of invitation, the one that they would use if they said, come unto me. And it's a picture of a cross with a great man on the cross that on either side, there's a lesser man. Now that Chinese symbol is a symbol that depicts the crucifixion. Christ died on the cross on either side. We see a lesser man, a criminal that was crucified with him at the same time. You know how old that symbol is? It dates to the days of Abraham. So when the Bible says that uh, 
that the gospel was preached to Abraham. It was. The Bible doesn't tell us everything that he heard, but it sure seems like the gospel was preached unto Abraham. And as such, we can take that, uh, or we can believe that God knew, or Abraham knew, that the Messiah was going to come, he was going to die on a cross, uh, shed his blood for the sin, and he had faith in the coming Messiah. We have faith in the Messiah who came. All salvation is based on faith. I don't care whether you're before the, the flood, after the flood, now in the age we live in, or during the tribulation period. It's all about faith. It's all about believing and trusting God. Now, uh, I heard someone say recently that Adam didn't have to have faith and trust in God. Yes, he did. He didn't have enough faith in God to believe God over Satan about the tree that he wasn't supposed to eat the fruit of. You see, so he had to have faith also. He had to believe God. So let's kind of bring this down to a conclusion. The message of salvation as presented today by most Christians is that you believe in Jesus and you pray the sinner's prayer and you're going to heaven. Two things wrong with that. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, not in some sweet Jesus who just loves everybody like we're taught today. And also, would you show me anywhere in the Bible where anybody ever prayed the sinner's prayer? Now, when I say that, people always take me to the uh, the, the Pharisee and the publican when they went up to pray, and the publican beats himself on the chest and says, and says, be merciful to me, a sinner. No, he was talking to his God who he already believed in. He wasn't praying for salvation. Or how about, how about where it says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus? Well, if you take and you look at the, uh, what happened, just take, for example, the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch wanted to be baptized. And he said, Philip, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip says, if thou believest, thou mayest. And what did the Philippian tra uh, jailer do? Did he pray a prayer? No. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He confessed Jesus Christ. Now, if we go to him, uh, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, if you do a study of the words and that, you'll find out whosoever will recognize him for who he is, is what that means, shall be saved. That's what it's talking about. And that's a, another message, and I'll get into that another time in these broadcasts. Jesus said, uh, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. That's how we get saved. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Anything less than that is not going to hack it, folks. How can you believe the gospel if you don't know what it is? Yes, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But it's really more than just those simple facts. It's understanding who Christ was. If we don't understand who the one is that died for us, how can we truly trust him? We need to understand that... Uh, that he is the God that created the universe. Uh, he's the one who died for our sins, and he is eternal. He is holy. We, he must punish sin. We must understand that the sinner is a sinner by God's definition, not by our definition. It's not us who decides uh, if, he's, if, if we've sinned enough to go to hell. It's God. And God says that the law broken at any point makes us guilty of all. Now, that doesn't mean that if we told a lie, we're now guilty of adultery. 
What it means is we have broken the law. I like to use the idea, since I play a guitar, a banjo, things like this, I like to use a stringed instrument string as an example. If I've got my guitar and I break a string and it breaks up here at the nut or it breaks down here at the at the, the bridge or the tailpiece where, where it's tied on at the end or anywhere in the middle, it doesn't matter where I broke it. It's broken. Now that string is already Condemned. It doesn't work anymore. Can't use it for its a, its purpose anyway. Well, I might be able to figure out something to do with it, but that's where you know. Whenever we're using hypo, uh, hypothetical things, there's always things that break down in it. But nevertheless, doesn't matter where we break the the string, and it doesn't matter where we break God's law. We become guilty before God, and we become deserving of the penalty. The slightest transgression of God's law condemns us to an eternal death. We need to communicate this to the lost if we want to see them get saved. Our sin debt is a debt which we cannot pay because all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that, that nothing we can do can save us. God's love for his creation uh, caused him to take the form of a man, come down, was born of a virgin, uh, lived uh, 33 years on this earth, as a, lived a perfect life, never sinned, never had a bad thought or anything. By the way, a bad thought is just as much as sin as conducting or as doing what it what says, but he never did any of that stuff. And he came down here and uh, died on the cross to pay our debt, pay what we owed. Only those who humbly turn from their own efforts to earn salvation with God. And every religion except biblical Christianity teaches that. Islam teaches that. Uh, Hinduism teaches that. Even atheism, which we don't consider a religion most of the time, but it is. It's a belief in self, and if I do what I think is right, then I'm okay. So it's still the same thing. They all teach that we're saved by things we do. We have to place our faith 100% in what Christ did on the cross. 100%. And his shed blood. That's the only way a person can be saved. If you ask most Christians how they know they're saved, most of them will say something like this. Oh, I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart. Or, I gave my life to Jesus. While it's not wrong to play, pray when we get saved, it's not wrong to uh, give our life to him. That's expected when we get saved. Those things are, are, are right. There's nothing wrong with them. But if that's what we're depending on, we're not depending on Christ's death on the cross. This is why this is so important. It is not wrong to pray a prayer at the time of salvation. It is not wrong. That's not what saves you. What saves you is trusting Christ and him fully for salvation. It's when we repent. That I did a search through the whole scriptures, looked up every place the word repent is used in any form. What was repent, repentance, uh, repenting, repented, didn't matter. Everywhere it was used in the English Bible. Then I took and looked up all of the Hebrew and Greek words that are translated repent in some form or another. And I looked them all up and I was looking for one thing. What are we to repent of? Now, repent means to turn our back on something and turn to something else. That's what it means, to turn from this to that. 
And I searched the scriptures and I searched the scriptures. I couldn't find any. It kept saying repent, but it didn't say repent of. So I finally got to Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, I found the answer to the question. It's repentance from dead works. All the things that we try to do to earn salvation are dead. They're useless. They're vanity. They will get us absolutely nowhere. We're to turn from those. We're to turn from trying to earn it ourselves and say, God, listen, I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. I'm sorry. I ask you for mercy. And when you ask God for mercy, he will point you to Jesus Christ and says, trust my son and what he did on the cross. Now, folks, that's what uh, salvation is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. And we need to understand what it is. My goal is to be able to help every Christian strengthen their foundations in the word of God. And that's what this broadcast is about. Thank you for listening to this. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.